0: we are recording and it's january so um this is the time when we all get very pensive and start thinking about issues and all the houses around us are quiet and the lights are off in the woods i find because you know i don't have any real year-round neighbors i have all transient neighbors which is sort of the trend out here in the last several years so what about you georgie do you have neighbors
2: I, I was going to say in the last couple of years, I feel like that trend has really reversed, at least in my neighborhood. You know, you had a lot of people um, in COVID flee the city and, you know, we saw our real estate market go through the freaking roof. And, um, you know, I mean, a, not a for sale sign pops up on my little street in Springs and it's gone before, like, I mean, the post is barely up. Um, but are they
0: Are they still there though? Because like they were here last year, but all my neighbors are gone.
2: I would say that before we enjoyed a street in Springs, which for readers or or for listeners who don't know East Hampton well as a hamlet of East Hampton, Um, but we started out before COVID with probably like a 60 40 year round to transient population on our street it was 100% year round last year. I mean, every house had a car in the driveway. And now this year, I would say maybe we were like back to like 80, 20, but we still have a lot of people who have just stayed. And, and if they have gone back to the city, they're still here every weekend. You know, wow. but there's not, there's not a driveway that's, there's not more than a couple driveways that are empty at this wow. point it's january if if you were gonna leave east hampton this is the time to leave East hampton.
1: hey if you guys want some some neighbors you can have some of mine because i'm in riverhead and i've got a lot of them some are nice and some aren't
0: <laughs> you guys aren't having tea together up there in riverhead huh
1: well no no tea
0: you're doing the get off my lawn routine eh
1: yes
2: I mean, is anybody having tea together right now, or are we not? Yeah,
0: way more night? people than probably should. That's how we're all going get, to get the COVID. It's like, the, it's like a chicken box party.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? So, well, let's do our introduction so everybody knows who we are. Um, so back with us again is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill.
1: Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
0: And also Catherine Gimanu joins us from the lovely Hamlet of Springs. Hello. <laughs>
2: hey, I'm Catherine Manu. Sometimes people call me Georgie, and I am one of the publishers of the Express News Group.
0: And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is Brian Boyhan. So what do we call you these days?
3: Well, um, you know, I just filled out my passport renewal, and it asked me my occupation. And uh, I just wrote journalist, and I was happy to do just journalist. So,
0: you know, I- that'll get you in trouble when you go to some countries though you don't want to be too honest
3: when we went to to cuba uh i remember being interrogated by the uh customs officer down there in cuba and uh, he asked me uh what my occupation was and i said uh i was a journalist and he paused and he looked up from his paperwork and looked me in the eye and said are you any good like to think so
0: yeah i tell you that was like the most stressful customs experience i had been through because if you remember brian they took you in one at a time and when you know you weren't just going up to a window it was like you went into a room and you were standing there there were walls all around you so you were sort of in this literal no man's zone where you had already left your friends behind who were still waiting to get in you were not yet out of the door and into the country Um, It just was very, you know, we have ways of making you talk kind of experience. Um, Yeah, 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 it was weird. So, um, so today we're going to talk about a story that Brian Boyhan is working on. um, And it has to do with a very interesting topic. And that is the idea of what we were just speaking about at the beginning, which is homeownership on the East End. And of course, over the years, we've seen more and more of our year-round homes be snapped up by um, people who are here for any number of weekends, either year-round like they are in uh, weekenders on Georgie's neighborhood, or like my neighborhood, where once the leaves fall, they are out of here until the leaf blowers pick up in about two months from now. Um, So the story that Brian's researching is a new model called Picasso. That's not It sounds like the artist, but it's spelled P-A-C-A-S-O. And the idea is fractional ownership. So this is a company out of California that is selling basically shares in luxury homes in a lot of communities around the country and even the world. I think they have some in Spain. And the idea is that they buy um, like nine, $10 million houses, like really high-end houses in these resort communities. And then they sell fractional ownership. So every, um, like maybe eight different people buy into this home and then they technically own it. So it's not, they call say it's not a timeshare. It's not a rental. And then each owner gets um, a 44 day or six week period to spend at the house. Um, So Brian, I'm curious what you have learned about this model and what we think might be coming our way out here or not.
3: Well, the, um, uh, the controversy is largely in California and it seems to be centered around wine country, Napa and Sonoma counties. There is a feeling that it's moving east uh, Picasso itself has, uh, I think, 25 different locations right now, including Spain. They uh, seem to be big throughout the California uh, and into kind of ski areas, uh, Utah, mm-hmm. Colorado. And what they do is, as you described, they buy multi-million-dollar luxury houses in largely resort areas. And then they find a group, eight seems to be the number, um, and Mm -hmm. uh, they sell one-eighth shares. Uh, They create an LLC that actually owns the property. And then uh, they seek out eight individuals or families that will become owners of that LLC and will actually have a share in the property. What's happened locally is that uh, I spoke with uh, Jeff Sander, who's mayor of North Haven Village, uh, the other day about it. Uh, And North Haven at this point is the only municipality I'm aware of that has even begun to address it. And uh, Jeff was saying that it had been brought to his attention by one of his fellow board members who had seen what was going on at that point in the Colorado area that he was familiar with and said, look, this is something that we probably want to put on our radar screen. Simply put, the fear is that it is Basically, just kind of a legal way to get around timeshares, which most municipalities that we deal with out here are not crazy to have. And uh, North Haven Village, in particular, it's a municipality that has no commercial properties. There's no businesses except for one, Peerless Marine, which is a pre existing non conforming uh, marine and boat repair shop. So their fear is that, holy cow. This demographic that they're pursuing and the, uh, uh, and the geography is very much like what the Hamptons has to offer. And that's where I think the fear comes in.
2: And one thing I'm really curious about is the business model for the company itself. So, you know, they buy these properties and then they, you know, create this LLC and they find these eight families or individuals to become co-owners of the property. So do they like mark that up by like an X percentage so that that company makes money?
3: Yes. So uh, I just did this calculation yesterday If you go on to the Picasso site, uh, they have it's like going onto a real estate site and you can browse through uh, the different regions where they have uh, houses and they have um, opportunities and uh, they have pictures, uh, interior, exterior descriptions, five bedroom, four bedroom, you know, on the beach, on the mountain, by trail side, and they give you the prices per share. One article I read about it said, well, this property, one of the first ones they bought was for $4 million. And then they turned around and uh, I can't remember the exact price. We could calculate that. But they netted out netting $848,000 on Mm a $4 million house. So that's the business model interestingly, I read uh, in one of the, the business newspapers, they did a piece on this back at the end of 2021, uh, December 2021. Picasso only started in the middle of 2020. By the end of
0: 2021, they were valued at over a billion dollars. I think yeah, one of the interesting things about their, their what I was reading is that they, they mark up the houses like 12% and they actually go in after they buy them and before they sell them to the owners, uh, the new owners, they actually go in and like redecorate them and they, so they furnish them and then they they mark up the the price like 12% and then they sell it. And then once the, 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 the shares have been sold, they become sort of like property managers, their role
1: shifts. That's what I was going to ask.
0: Yeah, that's how they, I think, they make their money. So like they, they, they're responsible for I guess, you know, cleaning it and turning it over and maintaining it.
1: Somebody's gotta pay the property taxes and somebody's gotta go-
0: Yeah. Like the the owners actually pay those taxes, but I guess that Picasso is the administrator of that so they kind of probably take a pretty sizable fee for turning over the property property every time a new family comes in and also um you know maintaining it and kind of staying on top of all of the paperwork it's kind of a brilliant model actually i mean you know from, from their point of view, this is I think an interesting discussion because it's like, so here, you know, here I sit, for example, in a neighborhood filled filled with empty houses, which is worse that where the houses around me are owned by one family. That's only out here, you know, three months a year, or this, where you actually have people in the house year round, even if they're different people every six weeks, but they're, they, they maintain that they're more connected to being part of the community rather than having all of these empty houses sitting there, all of these owners, instead of buying eight different houses, they're all in one home. So you're freeing up all of the other real estate that these people are not buying. And they're also, they claim, more committed to being a part of the community rather than a lot of the um, homeowners here.
1: Is that what makes it different than a timeshare? Because I noticed that we were careful to say it's not a timeshare, yeah. but what what what's the difference? I guess it's the same people coming in Year after year for those six weeks, it's not transient.
0: Yeah, and you can't sublet it. There's no there's no subletting of Picasso. You are not allowed to rent it out like an Airbnb, or anything. So that's my question: Is this really any different than or worse than what we have going on here right now?
3: Well, it works. So B and Bs are unless you're registered, and I and, and somebody else who would have to tell me uh, what the different municipal laws are, the different municipalities. But um, uh, I don't think a lot of the municipalities here are anxious about BNBs, no. uh, are anxious to have them, nor are they a- interested in having timeshares. The difference, Bill, is that it's an ownership issue. Right. Uh, with a timeshare, you don't actually own the real estate. But with the Picasso scheme or the fractional home ownership, in fact, you do. And if you talk to somebody like Jeff Sander or, uh, or the critics of this, they'll described this as kind of a legal way of getting around the notion of a timeshare because it's kind of like the if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck it's a duck Um, except that there is a a a subtle legal difference that separates these things from from a timeshare.
1: Well and I imagine if you've got a half a million dollars or more invested in these properties too then you're not Somebody who's going to come in and have huge parties every night and destroy the house, right? I mean, your 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 interest is in in keeping the house maintained, um, you know, and and in, in good shape and looking good and all that.
0: And I think their other theory is that because you know the people that are buying into this, let's say they're they're buying in at like one 2 million, which sounds like a lot of money to us, but that's not a lot of money. And these people would normally, if they were going to buy a second home, would be driven more toward what is our year-round home um, stock. Do you know what I mean? At 1.2 million, you're not going to get a luxury property. You're going to get the kind of house that the rest of us live in. So there's, hmm. their theory is too, that by taking people who can't afford a $10 million house and putting them all together in one house, that's also relieving the pressure on your year-round purchase homes because the the price point tends to be lower. Does that make sense? Do you guys get that? Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's so that was one of the arguments that uh in in one of the interviews the guy who founded this Picasso company uh there were two guys. One was a former uh, founder of Zillow and uh, the other guy describes himself as a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> uh he makes that the guy from Zillow and I can't remember his name made that argument in an interview that uh he's uh he's actually doing a favor uh to the community and i begin to so that may be true but when somebody starts to tell me that hey i'm going to be do i'm going to do you a favor i'm going to like start selling these multi-million dollar houses at a fraction of their cost uh i get suspicious and somewhat cynical um but the argument kind of plays out a little bit. They're buying these homes that the working class people are not going to be able to afford. And they're not really targeted at these, like these $9 million houses, $8 million houses, are certainly not targeted at year round people, I don't think, or they're not targeted at the working class or the people who are gonna serve on the fire departments, the school boards in in town. Um, They're targeted at a luxury second home or third home, or in our case, fourth home markets out here.
0: But of course, it's interesting. It's like, okay, so you pack these luxury homes with year-round home ownership, and they're all going to be members of the community, and they're going to take part and go to the restaurants and stuff. But we don't even have enough staff now to to, uh, fill our restaurants as far as working there in the summer. You know, we already have a shortage of housing for, you know, these people are, it's just going to make more, need for affordable housing to house the people who are going to be servicing these houses and also working in the restaurants where these year-round fractional homeowners are now going to eat right
2: I don't know though I mean I feel like that that eight million dollar home would have just been sold to a more affluent family that maybe you know maybe is spending a little less time here but I mean it's not like that home isn't going to be sold to somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like what's the burden on services when it's a fractional ownership, when likely you're not going to have a family because they're not going to be able to be there for long enough. That's going to like put kids in the school district or, you know what I mean? (laughs) I know, but you're going to, but you're going to, if you have people staying there year
0: round, these are people that are going to be need service people in jobs year round, you know? Um, which means, you know, just, it's another, it's, it's more people out here looking for service employees, I guess is the way to put it. And on a more, rather than just in the summer, then it becomes a year round thing. I don't know. Maybe we'll figure out the affordable housing thing too.
2: So then also what happens if like, so I buy into a fractional home ownership and I'm like, woohoo, this is great. I'm so excited. And then I'm like, "Eh, you know what? I don't love it. You know, what do I do then? Can I sell my fractional ownership? Yes, you can. And,
3: uh, you know, so this is the uh, argument for the benefit of fractional home ownership versus uh, some other kind of resort buying. Uh, You are buying into a house that you probably couldn't afford if you didn't have seven other partners. And then when you are ready to cash out, and this is one of the big questions, I don't, that business is so new, you don't know how robust the market is for something like this, but you can actually sell your share or trade it. You could sell it to somebody new, who I guess the rest of that, this would probably depend upon the covenants that you get into with your partners in this. Do they require approval on who you can sell it to? And I, and I don't know the answer to that. And I think it's so new that all of these are probably on a case-by-case basis. One of the criticisms that Jeff had in, about this is not only the social aspect, of having one of these houses in your neighborhood with, okay, eight different families moving in and out over, you know, how many different times is a family moving in and out over the course of a year? 16, 32 times, uh, is there a new group moving in? Um, And the associated traffic with that. So not only is there that social issue, uh, but he noted that all of those, ownerships, once the property is first bought by Pakasa or whomever, all of those internal sales, nobody knows about it. It's not like, um, so out here, we generate a lot of money for the CPF based on, you know, on sales tax, on the 2% tax, not to mention mortgage tax. This is a another source of revenue for municipalities. Once those shares and that trading and that economy goes behind the cover of the llc the municipality itself does not benefit at all from any of those exchanges
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's
2: really interesting
0: yeah Yeah. and also like what if i mean what if you have like a bad co-owner like what if they you know what i mean like not that you're hanging out with them but you know trash the furniture or whatever like do you have to pay for that if they mess things up or
2: i mean presumably you would have to be like entering into some sort of contractual agreement to you know maintain your property since it's not just yours yeah. right
0: i mean maybe there's an inspection after every family leaves but also the other thing about here i mean different than the sonoma wine country or even like the ski areas that have really great summers and winters i mean you know there, you, you like you were saying right you're gonna have to have a lot of moving in and out because nobody's gonna want to take all 44 days of their fractional ownership in one time because you know Who's going to want to be here in January and February, you know?
3: Correct. So there's a minimum or maximum, rather, uh, amount of time that uh, you are allowed to take in this in these models. In an eight-partner situation, it's a two-week maximum. So the most you can stay at any one point is is two weeks. And there are, I think, 44 different time windows that... Uh, the eight people or the eight families need to negotiate
1: <clears throat> but that's how they're getting around you know the the local codes i mean where where you have towns out here that allow a maximum of <clears throat> two weeks for for any or a, a minimum of two weeks for 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 any rental so if you've got these families that are coming in for a weekend at a time in the summer or you know a week at a time then you're you're bypassing those codes but they're not renting so you can't be you know, you, you can't be charged with
0: that. Right. It's just they're not using it. They don't right. if they don't use it a whole two weeks. It's not. Yeah, they're not running it out.
3: One of the um, uh, one of the problems, one of several problems, I think, if you talk to Jeff like I did, they felt that they wanted to create a stopgap and they created a law that he openly acknowledges is going to be a very difficult law to defend. And they're basically doing it kind of like a lot of our ARB laws are, you know, questionably defensible in court, but they're enough of a stumbling block that an owner or somebody wants to, is not going to bother taking it to court and say, oh, the the heck with it, I'm just going to go along with it just because I don't want to, you know, have to fight this in court. Um, And I think that's what they're hoping for. But somebody who's aggressive and takes them to court, they're probably gonna lose if they try to, um, the way the law is written.
1: What, what exactly is North Haven, their, their law? What exactly does it, does it say? Uh,
3: well, funny, I read this the other day in the uh, back of the Sag Harbor Express in the legal notices. It's based on how the property is used. Uh, and it says that uh, anything like a timeshare uh, is unacceptable. They, they write about fractional ownership and uh, how it's, it's not acceptable.
1: So, so it just prohibits it altogether. It
3: prohibits it altogether, but part of the problem here is how you enforce this. And short of having somebody sitting and observing a given house over a period of time and watching who comes in and who comes out and then going and finding, well, do you have a rental permit in North Haven like a lot of other villages, you're gonna to have to work townships, you can actually have a rental permit, but it becomes a, an almost impossible enforcement issue. I was talking to um, uh, Tiffany Scarlato uh, the other day. She's yeah. uh, an attorney here who does a lot of real estate work. Uh, and uh, she worked for the town of East Hampton as a town attorney and she remembers having to send people to watch houses uh, and observe who was coming in and going out on properties where they suspected that there were too many people living in a house which is one of the bigger problems out here short of that as interesting jeff mentioned they actually he's, he's got a woman in the office who will go on google and uh, look for houses and there are Gazillions of them out here that are listed as Airbnb houses. And he would, uh, and then that woman from North Haven Village office would go and seek out that person to find out if, in fact, they had a valid rental permit. As you can imagine, it becomes an enormous undertaking.
1: Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, southamptonsagharborbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. That brings up a good point. Like, is this model any worse than people who are renting out Airbnb houses. I don't know. Is this something to get all up in arms? Or are we just afraid of the word LLC because we've been so um, spooked by LLCs in the past? Is this a model that we need to stop? Is it really any worse than what's going on already?
2: I mean, the LLC stuff has been in place. I mean, we've all been frustrated by the fact that we look at our real estate transfers. And we no longer have any any idea of who's buying what, because it's all LLCs. But, you know, theoretically in towns like East Hampton, there are restrictions on Airbnb rentals and there, are, you know, you're supposed to register your rental and you're only allowed to do, I think it's two rentals that are less than two weeks right. a year. And you have to have like this rental registry number that goes in all of your You know, advertisements. And again, this is, it's very challenging to enforce. But one of the reasons it was put in place is because even local homeowners realized that they could make just as much money renting for weekends through the summer than renting to somebody year round. And it's one of the biggest reasons we have a housing crisis is because of Airbnb rentals. So, I mean, the towns have tried to curb it, you know, but. Well, that's kind of my question. It's like, okay, so you have eight
0: owners all going together to buy a property that's definitely not a year round kind of house. Isn't that that better than maybe having these people each buy a $1.2 million house and just Airbnb it and take all that housing stock out. So, you know, should we even be fighting Picasso? Should we say, okay, this is a better solution? I don't know. What do you think?
3: Well, that's a, yeah. Um, you know, I, lo- I started looking at this and it's uh, not that I have an extra, you know, half a million dollars laying around that I want to buy a, uh, a second home somewhere, but uh, there's clearly a market for this. And so maybe there is a, a population out there that does have a, a half a million or a million dollars uh, and they wanna buy a second home somewhere that they're gonna use 12 weeks out of the year and the rest of the time it sits vacant. To your point, Annette, is that better for a community to let a house like that sit empty for you know half the year? Or is it better to have a house that is more fully occupied, but owned by eight different groups.
1: I think the 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 scary thing with it is the specter of if you guys remember back twenty years ago, you know, fifteen years ago, the you know the share houses, particularly in Southampton, where, where people would spend you know a, a couple grand and you would get a a one sixty fourth share of a house for one weekend or whatever or a certain number of weekends. And they came out and they were just these big party houses and you'd have a hundred people partying all night on the weekends in these houses with, with absolutely no investment in the house and, you know, and, and, and drinking and other stuff, you know, going on and, and that type of thing. And, and this kind of looks a little bit like that, although I would I would argue that you know that these people are certainly more invested in the property. But it's going to depend on who that one eighth share owner is. Is it somebody who's who's you know, okay, I get two weeks in the Hamptons this summer and I'm going to invite everybody I know to come out and spend the weekend in my Hamptons home, you know, that you know that that I've put in a, a you know a minor a minor share for and and create these party houses again that, that nobody wants to see a return of right
3: one of yes that's true and i think that's uh, that is certainly for us guys out here uh that is one of the fears so one of the so i spoke to another attorney yesterday who said that frankly the structure is not terribly unusual he goes i can't tell you how many llcs are out here that own houses and there are probably three or four or five different mm-hmm owners of those LLCs, but you don't have people jumping up and down. You know, the, the, uh, the idea that these are gonna become party houses, one of these houses becoming a party house is no more likely than another multi-owner LLC is gonna become a party house. Um, his observation was that, and he says, because yeah, I think that they're, you know, kind of making a mountain out of a molehill, uh, these kind of this kind of structure exists already. Right. Uh, we don't seem to be having a problem. With it's
1: them. just not branded.
3: The problem is enforcement. You know, uh, if uh, if suddenly any house, if it's a single ownership house, starts having big parties or big problems, then enforcement is the issue. Mm. The structure, the ownership structure, is not the issue here. He says, aside from the fact he observed, we are a resort community. We probably should, you know, why not start behaving like one?
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: See, he, he, he was saying that about 70 percent, and this is a fellow who does mostly real estate work.
0: Now, who is this again we're talking about? An uh, attorney that I was
3: talking to yesterday. OK, OK. Um, and the uh, he, biggest part of his business is real estate. He said that about 70% of home ownership out here is second home ownership. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what he was saying, Mm -hmm. which seemed like an an awfully high number for me.
0: Hmm.
2: Well, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting too, because maybe like, so if we're really looking at what is the actual impact of this kind of fractional ownership, it seems to me like the impacts are, that the towns lose out on um, certain revenues like CPF. Um, If that, once that initial sale occurs, all of the individual sales are kind of done, like Brian was saying, like behind a curtain, it's just not, it's not a part of a traditional real estate transaction. And then of course you're gonna have the impact is gonna be on the real estate industry itself. Now, if all of a sudden you've got a ton of houses on the high end the eight, nine, $10 million houses. And now instead of somebody coming in and buying it and enjoying it for five years and then flipping it and so on and so forth, you've got the initial transaction. And then again, everything's kind of happening behind this curtain and in this bubble and not involving real estate agents. You have to believe that's gonna have a really big impact on what's, I mean, certainly the biggest economic driver and industry in the Hamptons. Mm -hmm.
0: So Brian, would you say that that's the biggest concern of Jeff Sander up in North Haven? You know, let's be honest. His family is involved in the real estate industry. Do you think this is more their fears of what they see coming toward their industry, or are there other concerns that we haven't hit on besides the um, taking it out of the tax rolls and things like that?
3: You no, know, I think the two big issues for him uh, in the village of North Haven is um, the social impact. You know, where we talked about the uh, the turnover that's inherent in in what fundamentally appears to be a timeshare uh, operation, and then mm-hmm. whatever loss of uh, tax revenue um, may come with it. I think those are probably the two biggest concerns that uh, that they have.
0: I always want. I also wonder how attractive this area really is for this kind of a model. Like, I don't know if if there are they actively looking here because again we have such you know really pretty cold and dark winters. It's not, you know, these other places that seem to have these houses are have a much better, I think, year-round climate, either perfect weather year-round all the time, like in Sonoma, except for the fires, of course. And um, and like Colorado, where you have, you know, ski time and then beautiful sun summertime. Um, so I don't know, what do we think? Do we think that this is something that really is coming to a neighborhood near you?
3: Well, they've expanded down into uh, Florida, uh you know they uh down in miami i know uh so i think they're
0: in hilton head too i think they're doing like south carolina now
3: yeah but if you're talking about weather extremes and seasonality and do i want to be in miami in august probably not uh no more than i want to be in uh, sag harbor in february
1: mm. uh, yeah but but the, the shoulder seasons i think on the east end are so much longer than, than it used to be i yeah. mean you know, I mean, we've had conversations about tumbleweed Tuesday and all that that just doesn't happen anymore. You've got really nice falls and really nice springs here. So you're losing you're losing a couple months, you know, two or three months. But you, you've got that, you know, th- there's so much still now going on in this in the spring and the fall. It's not dead communities. I
0: also suspect the Picasso's being super cagey about where they're going. Sure. And they actually buy the house, you know what I mean? Like they're not going to be advertising that. Um, it's interesting. I was talking to my daughter down in Charleston, South Carolina. And, um, you know, this is the time of year where the college students start looking for their next year's rental houses. And she said, it's gotten really hard because some developers come in and snapped up a lot of like the old houses that um, the the students used to rent. And it's, and I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, wow, is that kind of thing, you know, it's becoming a very big destination down there. And I'm wondering if that's on the radar and, you know, fractional share and Charleston, and maybe that's why all of this student housing is getting snapped up, but nobody would know. I mean, that's the other thing is they can do this under the veil of an LLC, Um, and you have no idea that Picasso is behind it until they start selling the, the shares, right?
3: Well, one of the interesting, so two things, two points I wanted to make. One is that Jeff and I were talking about this, and he said he had spoken to Don Lockheim, who was the mayor of Sagaponic. I think Don maybe saw the story in the press and called Jeff up and was concerned about it. Uh, in Sagaponic. And I I seem to remember Sagaponic having a law where, well, everybody, and this is what Jeff mentioned, you know, if you are an owner of an LLC, you have to reveal your ownership. And I mentioned this to the real estate attorney I was talking to the other day. He goes, well, that's a, that's actually a state law. He goes, you have to dig for it. But all of the people who are, all of the owners of an LLC have to be identified in tax records. So, which are public, and you could file a freedom of information to get to it. But in fact, you can find the owners of L, the individual owners of LLCs.
1: So, so is it just Picasso doing this, or, or are we here? Are there other? I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't want to. I don't want to feel like we're targeting. You know, one one no, business.
3: So, Picasso. I, I had never heard of Picasso before and I, uh, until about a year ago, I started seeing their ads in the back of the Wall Street Journal. And they would take out these beautiful full page ads, um, second home ownership reimagined, and uh, you now can, uh, a second home, luxury or affordable ownership. I said, huh. So then I never heard anything more about it until North Haven started writing this law. So the other day, I started poking around and say, "Well, you know, how can I make this relevant out here other than North Haven? You know, is there in fact any fractional home ownership out here? And if you Google it, clearly, Picasa is like the big brand name. I did, however, find one home in uh, in the East End uh, in the Hamptons. It's actually a Noia. Um, it's on the beach over by Clam Island. I'm not sure if you know where Clam Island is. It's a trout
0: pond kind of area. uh,
3: Yeah, just north of Trout Pond. And there are a couple of contemporary houses. I've walked past them a hundred times. And uh, one of those houses is a a home that's being marketed. Um, The website is uh, welcometocompany.com, I found it. Uh, The guy who actually owns the house and is soliciting, looking for uh, members is a um, a kind of like a serial entrepreneur. He's done a bunch of different things.
0: I don't find that term comforting. I don't know. What about you guys? Serial entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um,
3: So, but this is the guy and he's got a house, five bedrooms, four baths. Uh, on the beach, overlooking Noyak Bay, uh, the photos are just spectacular. It's like you'd see for any, you know, luxury real estate house.
0: How much uh, does he want for you to have a share in it, Brian? Oh,
3: so, uh, uh, he has not returned my phone calls, uh, <laughs> uh, and there's no indication on it what he's looking for per share. Um, but he's looking for their, uh eight members, and there's a whole explanation on the site about how it works and you know what what you get and Uh, you know, if you, uh, I mentioned before, if you go on the Picasa site, just so you can see a range of, uh, of opportunities, um, I saw them going all the way up to like $2 million for a share, all the way down to about $127,000. So there's a fairly wide range, depending upon where you want to be and what kind of a house you want to be. Uh, I'd love to find out what the guy wants in Noyak. Uh, I don't, I don't know, but.
0: Interesting, huh. So do we think that um, the, the North Haven law is gonna be able to stand up and to any sort of scrutiny of um, challenged? I
3: think if challenged, uh, maybe not. I think it's, it might be enough of a deterrent to, uh, to people because knowing that they just can't walk in there and turn the key and start selling shares.
0: We don't know if any other municipalities are also looking um, to legislate this sort of thing yet.
3: Um, so I uh, I spoke with Sag Harbor Village, uh, not on their radar screen. Um, mm-hmm. and I've got calls out to uh, SAGAPONIC, Southampton, and East
1: Hampton villages.
0: Wow,
1: interesting. Well, good for North Haven for being mm-hmm. proactive. I, I I think it's um, usually you you know you, you see these things after the fact, you know, somebody comes in and- Yeah, after the,
0: after the cow has left the barn.
1: Buys five houses and, you know, and sells shares. And then you're trying to figure out what happened and, and how to react to it. It's better to be proactive than reactive.
3: I think one of the concerns was that it was moving so quickly. You know, this company starts in the middle of 2020. And, you know, a year and a half later, they're in 25 locations, uh, including Spain, apparently. And uh, they've got a business that's valued at a billion dollars. Mm. So I think the concern is that it's a model that is moving very, very quickly, whether it, it doesn't burn itself out, whether it's sustainable, I, I, I really don't know. Interesting. But it sounds like a sweet deal. You walk in, you get you know, your uh, 12, uh, how many weeks? Uh,
0: six, I think, uh, isn't it?
3: Six weeks out of the year. You walk in and your you know, cupboards are stocked with your favorite you know breakfast foods and your clothes are hung up in the closet. Uh, your beach toys are out. Uh, and then at the end of your two weeks, you lock the door behind you and somebody else cleans up.
0: Yeah. But what if you want to go elsewhere? You know, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know if I want to go to the same house every year. You know,
3: well, people uh, clearly a lot of people do because they buy two million dollar beach houses and they come, you know, they come out with then they don't
0: use them. Then they don't use them or they rent them out.
3: <laughs> right. So maybe they use them for six weeks out of the year. So instead of paying two million dollars for a house that I'm going to use six weeks out of the year, I'm going to pay two hundred thousand dollars or whatever the math might be for a house that I'm
0: going to use six weeks out of the year. I just hope you invite us over for a cocktail when you buy that house for the two (laughs) weeks that you're there. Exactly. (laughs) Please.
2: I was just going to point out, you're also theoretically building equity. That's correct. You know, know, so it's not like, you know, it's not like spending that $200,000 on that same house as a rental for the summer um, year after year, because you are, you know, getting something out of it. Yeah. And you're an owner. Also, it makes, it makes me
0: think too, like, you know, having lived in a condo in um, the city before we moved out here, the whole, the whole idea is like, also you're part of an association and that you have to pay your condo fees and your dues. And there were some condos that we decided not to even put a bid on when we were looking because we looked at the numbers and it wasn't solvent. Like you might have some of your tenants who aren't paying their part of the taxes or their part of the condo association fee. So I'm wondering what protections are in place. If, you know, what if somebody defaults on their, you know, they I don't know if you can take out a mortgage for fractional ownership, but what if someone defaults on their mortgage payments or, you know, doesn't there goes belly up and doesn't have the money to contribute to the
1: taxes. That's an interesting question about, about a mortgage. I don't know how you would get a mortgage if the bank wouldn't be able to come in and, um, you know, claim the property, I guess they could claim, claim the share.
2: Right. But, they would have to just yeah. get in line. I'm assuming this would have to be a full cash yeah. um, buy yeah. situation. I I don't think there's any mechanism on which a bank could give you a mortgage for an eighth of a property. Fractional. I don't know. I mean, you could get a bank loan, but That's, it's not yeah. going to be like a traditional mortgage, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe. Right. I don't know. Brian, you need to figure that out. <laughs> okay i will do that all right all right guys well cocktails on brian when he buys that fractional ownership in noyak
3: i only have a house at noyak <laughs> and you're welcome and you're welcome to come over for a cocktail anytime you want well not I
0: during covid, COVID apparently
1: afterwards. i
3: don't need i don't need another house in noyak
1: well maybe you should sell off some shares brian
3: yeah <laughs> have any interest i have a bare bedroom
1: do you like dogs
3: oh, love dogs have two of them
1: there you go good 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude, Flute Music, is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and the sackharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.